I'd also ask that you'd open your Bibles to Second Chronicles. We've come as far as chapter 12, Second Chronicles chapter 12. Uh, it's really important for you all to have uh, the Word of God before you as we go line by line and verse by verse. So if there's anyone here that this evening that doesn't, doesn't have a Bible, please raise your hand and one of the ushers or elders can bring you a Bible. We want you to have one in your hands here. And if, if, if you don't have one altogether, please accept this as a gift from Jesus Christ, that Bible, and uh, read the Word of God and fall in love with the, the Holy Spirit and the God that wrote it. So, well, I'd ask that we bow our heads, and I just want to pray. Father, I come before you here this evening, and my brothers and sisters, we're, we're all gathered. We gather in your name. We know you're present. You certainly, this is holy ground. You dwell with us. Lord, we, we will want to lift up Pastor Steve to you. Pray for wisdom for the doctors and the nurses and all those providing care. And Lord, we ask that you would um, go before him right now. You'd heal him, Lord. I pray you'd heal Tammy, um, his helpmate. And, uh, and God, I pray that um, through the wisdom and knowledge, Lord, that uh, they would understand what's going on. And Lord, I, it would be so cool, Lord, if you just touch him and heal him right now. And then they would come back and go, we think it's, and he would be able to say, no, it's Jesus. It's you, Lord. Lord, we love when you do that. We know sometimes you, you use men and women in different ways, but, but Lord, how sweet that would be uh, for one of your, your divine healings there. Uh, Lord, we also uh, lift up Tammy, uh, as I know she's uh, by his bedside. She's going to be staying there tonight with him. I thank you, Lord, that you've provided and allowed that. Um, I pray, God, that you uh, meet every one of her needs. Lord, you, you, you prick our hearts to let us know how we can do that. And uh, certainly for, for the whole family, Lord, for Ruthann and Ray, every, uh, the whole family, Lord, um, and their children and, and grandchildren. So we pray and we ask that uh, you would do that, Lord. We pray for our study tonight, Lord, as we open the word of God. We know it's your word. We pray you'd anoint it. Uh, it's your word. We pray that it would uh, very gently go into our hearts. And, uh, Lord, do the work of transformation. And uh, we'd be growing in the likeness and image of you, Jesus Christ. Pray there's not a single soul that walks out of here the same tonight, Lord, after meeting with you. We need this, Lord. We need this in our midweek time. We need to meet with you. We need your presence. We need your spirit. We need this precious time with you, Lord. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else than right here, right now, Lord. So we just pray and ask these things in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. 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 Well, we'll look here at chapter 12 in Second Chronicles. We know this is dated, and maybe this will help to kind of ground or anchor us uh, right around 926 B.C. Remember, Second Chronicles is written to the post-exilic people that are now in the land of Israel. They've come out of Babylon. They're in Israel. Things are, uh, at this point, they're the children two generations removed. They don't necessarily know why their parents went into captivity to begin with. And so, as the Lord had preserved this and written this for those uh, young men and women to see these things, that they would hold the truth, that they would not turn back like their fathers or their mothers and follow the way of Egypt or the world, but they would be holy, they would be different, and also they would be looking for Messiah, that they wouldn't have thought just because of their sin that God 
is going to change everything through his Davidic covenant and all of his promises. But God's a promise keeper. And so as we look here in chapter 12, we're going to see that Egypt is going to come up against Judah. We just read about uh, Rehoboam and his family. Uh, It's quite interesting. If I think back in in light of the passage that we read last week in chapter 9, verse 13, wealth like never seen before on this earth through Solomon. I mean, honestly, like we have never seen. And all of these shields that were made with gold and all the things that were put in the treasury and the temple and the houses of the Lord that way. And here in 926, we know it's 926 because we know five years prior to this is when Rehoboam starts uh, his ministry, right, as king. And uh, Solomon dies, so he's no longer uh, leading as king there. So we know it's got to be right around 926 B.C. um, since 931 is when we know uh, Rehoboam started his ministry or as king. And to just think, I mean, even if it was from 931... All the way to, if you, even if you go on the other side of that to 950, in 20 plus years, all of it. I mean, all of the, the wealth, all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom, all of the moving of God and the Holy Spirit to the nation of Israel, all of that as it's captured. And for us to see in a generation, one generation. All for naught. That literally God is going to allow because of the disobedience of the nation of Israel, the disobedience of the people, and the disobedience of the government, the king. In one generation, God is going to allow Egypt to come back up and to go through and remove all of these precious materials, shields, all the things that were tokens of God's, just his blessing and his favor upon Israel just be removed. You know what that also tells me? We're always one generation in in any country, in this country in particular, away from a time where people don't even know the name of Jesus Christ. That should be mindful. That should be top of mind for all of us. That in one generation, But the converse of that is true as well. That if we would humble ourselves, if we would cry out to God, if the Lord would allow a great revival, a great awakening, what can't God do in a generation with men and women that have willing hearts, submission, obedience? My God can do everything and anything. So let's read here in chapter 12. As we look at first, this downfall that has to happen and a reminder to the post-exilic people not to repeat the same mistake. And I don't know, maybe that's good for one of us here tonight or all of us that way. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. Underline that in your Bible. That is exactly the reason It's that simple. That is the reason it happened, right? Again, even after God's mercy and kindness. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord because of sin. 
with 1,200 chariots, he's describing some of the sin here, the iniquities, 60,000 horsemen and people without number, in other words, beyond numbering, who came with him out of Egypt, that Lubim and Sukkim, the Ethiopians. And he took and fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. What's so significant about this? And you might say, I don't understand. What's the problem? Well, if you've been going with us uh, midweek and line by line and verse by verse, you know very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, in the law, it was forbidden for kings to do what? To assume or to build up chariots and horses and all of these things, not to have multiple wives. All of these things were sin before the Lord against the law. Why? Because they were putting their faith and trust in man and what man can do instead of the God that's protected them, whose hands never slack, and wants to bless and give favor and show favor to his chosen people. He's a good dad. He's a good father. And he wants his children to know just how much he loves them. He's capable and willing to protect them and protect us. But it's almost like, you know, he just put, put the, you know, like dad wants to give a gift. And you, you look at dad and go, no, I don't need it. No, I don't need it. It, it, there's a little bit of arrogance to that, isn't there? Almost a pride. Like, I, no, I'm good. I, I don't, you know, don't need that. I got it. I can figure it out. I often wonder, do we think about that in our prayer closets, in our prayer time with the Lord? How he wants to meet with us and he wants to go before us. He wants to prosper us and bless us. But are we too busy? Maybe sometimes, they, oh, no, Lord, you don't, I, I don't need you. I'm, I'm quite capable. Oh, my. Then Shimeiah the prophet came to Rehoboam to the, and the leaders of Judah, who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shikshak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I have also left you in the hand of Shikshak. In other words, you didn't ask me for help. I'm not going to force myself upon you. You're going to get exactly what you asked for. Let's rein it on in here for a few minutes tonight. (laughs) The application of this is pretty simple in the lives, I think, of uh, most Americans today and the way we're living and the things we're seeing. Anyone, again, over 30 or 40 years of age here, can remember growing up in this country at a time, maybe even some that maybe in their 70s, even older, 68, 67, when they took the Bibles out of schools, they took prayers out of school. So we don't need you in the schools, Lord. We don't need your Bible. We don't need your word. We don't need you. And we've found that relativism has creep, you know, crept into the culture. It's become the dominant ideology today. What's good for me, right? What's good for you, There's no absolutes. Everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. Boy, that sounds familiar. The book of Judges. And now we we see some of the larger cities, New York, D.C., California. We see murders higher than they've ever been. You know, just in another country, a woman in Paris, France, went in to use the bathroom and she was taken advantage of rape that way, did nothing wrong, just went into a public restroom, her husband with her that way, just, I'll meet you outside. Such evil 
and wickedness. Isaiah 5 said it would be like that in these last days, though, didn't he? That it would grow more wicked and evil, and they would call evil good and good evil. And that's what happens. That's what happens when we forsake God, when we forsake the word of God. And and oh, by the way, let's not be ignorant to the church because this didn't happen in a vacuum. Where are pastors standing up and making sure that the word of God is taught line by line, verse by verse, so that the men and women that are coming in can be discipled and grow and you want a revival. It starts in my heart. It starts in your hearts. And it, it's beautiful. And it's a moving of the Holy Spirit. But there needs to be accountability. And for far too long, the church was quite honestly indifferent. Because as long as it didn't impact my neighborhood or my family or my job. And now we find ourselves in the situation where Again, I, I think I've been saying it. I just read the Barner Research Group study. 8%, 8% of evangelical Christians, you go to pastors, only 8% of pastors actually believe in a literal interpretation of the Word of God. How, how can we explain that? Other than we are in the last days and there is a falling away. But none of us have to be a part of that. That's a, a free will choice. And that's, that's what we can't miss here. We can, this isn't new. This isn't like America has invented this or, or Europe. I mean, this happened in England. You know, look, look at Spurgeon. Look at, look at the, the, the men that, that came out of England that witnessed to the Americas, right? Wesley, I mean, you, you look at the amazing fact that we all have a Bible in our hands. We can go into any store and there's a Bible and pretty much buy one. And yet we have technology like no other time where, you know, you can go to Blue Letter Bible. It's free. It's online. You can get the Greek. You can, be, you can get the Hebrew. You don't have to be a scholar. They, do the, they have a lexicon. They literally do the translations. You hover over the word, click the word, and you understand its original meaning. So much that is given is so much that is required. I, I just pray that there's a sort of a wake-up call in my heart, your hearts, and that we don't keep this to ourselves. That in our jobs, wherever we go, our travels, our friends, we open the Word of God with them and sit down over lunch and say, hey, I heard this is what's going on in your life. You know, let's... Let's see what Jesus has to say about that and bear each other's burdens. Come together that way. Not just, yeah, good luck with that. But invest in each other. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Well, so the leaders, verse 6, of Israel and the king humbled themselves and, and they said, the Lord is righteous. Now, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shimei, saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. How good is our God? How merciful is our God? The grace of our God. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shikshak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants. Describing bondage. 
that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms and of the nations. This is a powerful lesson, isn't it? You want man's government. You want, uh, you want to remove the Bible. You want to remove the absolutes and truths and love. I'll let you see where that leaves you. I'll, I'll let you experience what a life in a world is like when, when I do that. When I remove my covering, my hand that way, you'll see. And then you'll recognize just how wonderful. He doesn't do this to be mean or, or in some ways, you know, cruel. No, he does this in an attempt for redemption and reconciliation. To draw every one of us back in right relationship. That's all he's ever after. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't, he's not there, you know, I don't know about you, some of us. Sometimes in my house, you know, I, our home, I could, you know, if something, one of the kids, uh, oh, you know, you did. I told you so. That never comes off well. Don't say that to your wife. Wives, don't say that to your husband. That never comes off well. They don't go, thank you so much. I'm so glad you shared that with me. Thank you. No, they're like, mm-hmm. Jesus never does that. Jesus is so good. Why are you all laughing? That makes me, no. All right, marriage counseling right now. Boom, no. We, why, why do we, why do we think our Father in Heaven's going to respond the way a mere human would? He is so divine, so he is love. He is perfect. And all he desires is reconciliation. And we see it over and over again, leaping off the page here. So Shikshak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he took everything. Now, some people believe, you want to underline this, some people believe this is when the Ark of the Covenant went missing. You will hear scholars teach that. I, I don't believe that. I, I encourage you to be Bereans. There's nowhere else in Scripture that it describes that. I, I think that's a big enough deal that when the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Co we we read about it, and, and, and we read about exactly what happened. They couldn't wait to give it back, right? Come, come take this thing, you know, between all the boils and everything else. Now, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I believe they took the, the medals, the, maybe the ch chalices, the, 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 the gold shields, the, you know, those kind of things. And it does say everything, but I don't believe they took the Ark of the Covenant. I don't believe they took the presence or what would represent symbolically the presence of God. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Isn't that interesting? The metal, anybody in metallology or study that? You know what that is in scripture? What does bronze always represent in scripture? Judgment, that's right, judgment. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if he even was aware of that. When he took what he had and he saw, oh, I got bronze, I guess I'll make shields out of that. Did he even recognize what he was saying publicly by doing so? This is God's judgment. And it's staring him right in the face. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out and they would take them back into the guardroom. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And 
things also went well in Judah. Thus, King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and, and reigned. And now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Namah, the Ammonitess, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Hmm. The Acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shimei the prophet and Edu, the seer, concerning genealogies? And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested in with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. In the 18th year of King Re of Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah, and he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel, Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jer uh, Jeroboam. We're not actually told nowhere in Scripture, in Kings nor in Chronicles, what this war was about. We don't know. As a matter of fact, we knew back in chapter 11, verse 4, God clearly came to Rehoboam when he was about to create a civil war and go up against the northern tribes. If you remember that, Jeroboam, God clearly said, no. You are not to go and attack your brother. And praise God, Rehoboam had listened and did not do that. And he did not make war with the northern tribes from the south. But here, for whatever reason, we're not told again. So maybe something happened, obviously, between Abijah and Jer Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. So in the south, you have 400,000 Judah, okay, and the north, representing the 10 tribes, you had 800,000. When I say Judah, it's actually Judah and Benjamin, if you remember. Then Abijah stood at Mount Zerim, all right, that's in that area, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, or Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever to him and his sons by covenant of salt? He's just trying to explain that it's a long-lasting covenant. Although, we have to be honest, he's a little bit of a revisionist here, historically, right? There was, it was a conditional covenant, wasn't it? If you remember, two different covenants in Scripture, a royal grant or a Susan Vassarill. Royal grant, God, Abrahamic covenant. God establishes it, uh, puts Abraham sleep, goes down, ratifies the covenant. That's a royal grant covenant. Nothing humanity has to do in response to that covenant. It's called royal grant. The other kind of covenant we see in Scripture, and the only other one, is a Susan Vassarill. It's a covenant that's conditional. If you do this, I will do this. The Davidic covenant is a conditional covenant. Israel, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. So again, a little bit of a revisionist here. Remember, just because we see something written in the word of God that way, it doesn't mean that God is necessarily agreeing with every aspect of that. What it's representing is this man's heart and his motivation for why he's doing what he's doing. This isn't God necessarily saying, yeah, that's accurate history. That's not at all what's happening here. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebad, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him. 
So again, God's not endorsing this. Then, uh, sorry, and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David, and you are a great multitude, and with you are the gold calves which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Well, that part is actually what? True. Remember, that's what Jeroboam did. He was so insecure as a leader, as a king, started well. God had told him he had fled to Egypt under the reign of Solomon because he thought Solomon was going to take him out. He would have been equivocal today, Jeroboam, to what we would describe as a union leader. He was over the people, and he didn't like the fact that Solomon taxed the people uh, heavily and forced labor upon the people. He didn't like that. So he was like, why are we doing this this way? You know, Jeroboam and God actually sent a prophet to see him and said, one day you will be king. But in the meantime, while Solomon was reigning, he fled for his life to Egypt. And then he ends up making his way back when um, Solomon's dead and Rehoboam is reigning. But because he was so insecure and the fact that Obviously, God never designed uh, temple service or worship uh, to be done in the north. He had always, it was to be done in Jerusalem, it was to be done in the south that way. But, but um, Jeroboam didn't want the people from the north, the ten tribes, to travel back down to Judah because he was afraid that they would turn around and go, you know what, Rehoboam's not so bad. You know, we like worshiping the way God has us to worship. We like worshiping at the temple. We like the word of the Lord. We like these things. And so he was insecure. He said, we don't, well, I don't want him to go back because, you know, I have a great idea. Why don't we create these golden calves? And we'll establish a whole other form of religion, a whole new religion, really. And we'll have it in the north and we'll create these gold calves. Boy, we've, we've read about that before, right, Aaron? And, and we'll have them worship up here. And that way they don't have to go back down south and we don't have to worry about any traitors or any type of espionage or any of that stuff. So this is very true. I mean, basically what Jeroboam did is he invented a new religion, which was idolatry. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourself priests like the peoples of the other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a, a priest of things that are not gods? Again, very true the Levites would not worship a golden calf. So he either threatened to assassinate them or they could flee and go back to Judah down south. But as far as for us, that's Judah, the Lord is our God and we have not forsaken him and the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron and the Levites attended to their duties. And they burned to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure golden table or the gold table to the lampstand of gold, which in the lamps to burn every morning for we keep the command of the Lord our God. That's important. Underline that. In spite of Rehoboam, right? In spite of Abijah and their wickedness. It's amazing that they continued to keep the ceremonial practices and the law that God had established regarding worship within the temple. They didn't just uh, compromise that yet. They were compromising in other areas, but they didn't compromise that. And very clearly it says here, but you have forsaken him. 
That, again, is the crime, you might say. Now, look, God himself is with us, and as our head and his priests with sounding trumpets to sound an alarm against you, O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, God of our fathers, for you shall not prosper. So, so how's Abijah looking at this? If you're following along and you're tracking here tonight, and I'm a proud of you, most of you are staying awake. This is very good, right? <laughs> so if you're, if you're checking in here tonight, what's going on? Well, what's happening is we're, t- we're starting to understand from Abijah's perspective here that he looks at this war that he is going against with 400,000 people against this Jeroboam who's committing idolatry with multiple gods, paganism, and all these other things, and he's thinking this is a religious war. This isn't just a matter of semantics. This is about the one true God and worship according to God's obedience, according to God's law and God's testimonies, his commandments, judgments, and statutes. That's how, that's how Abijah's looking at it. And Jeroboam, well, he's looking at it in a different way. He's looking at it for power and control. But Jeroboam caused an ambush. So just let the video play. Abijah's talking through this. He's kind of talking. And while that's going on, Jeroboam's going, hey, you, hey, you, you go around this way. Flank on that side. You flank on that side militarily. And so Abijah's giving this great dissertation, right? You know, he's, you know, and meanwhile, Jeroboam and his armies are literally surrounding Judah. They're surrounding all of Benjamin and Judah, the 400,000 people, and now they've entrapped them. There's no way out. They're, they're, they're circled. There's no way to get away from this. And so it says, but Jeroboam caused an ambush to get around behind them. So they were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And, what, and when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah, and the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And I believe it's because Jeroboam struck first. Again, he did not want a war between these two peoples. Certainly it was because of the idolatry, yes, but he did not want these two peoples to fight. Then Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. So much life lost. So much life lost. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time. And the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. And this is just a reminder that God is always our greatest protector. You know, I mean, look at those odds. They were, they were outnumbered two to one, weren't they? By all accounts, they were surrounded on the, behind, on the back, on the front. Their six was, you know, they were going to take them out. And there's nothing that anybody's going to do to stop it. And then you have to say, but God. And I think that statement can always be said, but God. We should never give up hope. We should never just lie down and, uh, and, and, and just say, well, it's, it's overwhelming. It's impossible. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. When, you're, when, when God's for you, who can be against you? And Abijah, verse 19, pursued Jeroboam and took the cities from him. Bethel, that's significant. Circle that in your Bible. Why is Bethel so significant and called out? 
because it was one of the two places where the calves were put for calf worship. So very clearly it's describing the idolatry, one of the two places. Bethel was one of them, and he's saying it allowed him to take it. And what's he going to do? He's going to remove that with its villages and uh, Jeshahanam, with its villages, and Ephraim, Ephraim, Rin, with its villages. So Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. If you look up the Hebrew here in the language, and I encourage you again, look, get a lexicon, but in the, in the Hebrew language here, this idea, and he struck him, this describes a very violent death. This isn't like, oh, and he got a cold and he died. No, the idea here is um, a, very, uh, a very violent death, uh, a death of agony, uh, no comfort, couldn't get comfort. That's the idea in the Hebrew here when it says it struck him. That's what it's typically used when it's connoting something or describing something like that. And he died. And the irony of it is he could have been one of the greatest kings in Israel, couldn't he have? God had great plans for him. But Abijah grew mighty, married 14 wives, uh-oh, and begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. Now again, you don't see God endorsing or condoning polygamy here. It's simply recording the fact. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are they not written in the annals of the prophet of Ido? So Abijah rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place in the days, in his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. Now, I don't know about you. I, I always find chapter 14 striking. Every time I get to Asa and I read this and I, you know, I just think about this and I'm like, Lord, it really does come down to the individual character of a man, what you want to do and the choice of a man. I mean, Asa's father, we just read about it, Abijah, he, he was a wicked king, right? His father, a wicked king. His grandfather, a wicked I mean, follow the line. Wicked king after wicked king other, until you get to, the, to David. But that has no bearing on what Asa and who Asa is going to become. And let, just, let that speak to your heart, parents. Maybe there's, maybe there's somebody that here that has a prodigal uh, son or a prodigal daughter. Maybe, maybe they've been walking wayward. And you, you, maybe you're, you're, you have a Christian home. You raised them in a Christian home. And you don't understand because you've done everything right. It's, it comes down to personal choice. Don't stop praying for them. Don't ever stop praying for them. God's not done. God's not, God's not done yet. And he can redeem them. And they can get to a place where they, they can be humbled and, and the, they could cry out. And, and it's important that they know where home is. Where's mom, dad? Where's sister, brother? Where's somebody that I know that I can call out that knows Jesus, that I can get this thing straightened out? I can get a real relationship here. And they need to know where home is. And it works conversely as well. Maybe there's somebody sitting here tonight like Asa. And you're looking and saying, man, my father was no good. Or my mother, I didn't even know her. Or I grew up in a home where everything but God was taught and tolerated. How could I ever be a man of God? How can I ever be a woman of God? Do you know how beautiful these passages are that are just demonstrations of God's love and his moving, that it comes down to the individual choice of the son or daughter of Christ or the individual choice of 
God's creation. Because if you humble yourself and you love the Lord, he'll raise you up. He'll strengthen you. He'll pour into you. He'll give you everything you need. He'll anoint you. And you'll understand what real relationship is. And I know that's hard. I, look, I'm not, I'm not ignorant to the fact that, that there's people in here tonight that have been abused by a father or mother, by an uncle, by an aunt, by somebody in their family. Terrible, wicked things. And it's been difficult for you to trust a God, a father, when you've seen what a man is capable of. But your heavenly father's nothing like any mere man. He is perfect. He's without sin. He, he is truth. He is love. He, he is gentle, compassionate. And he's madly in love with you. He's madly in love with you. You're the apple of his eye. You consume his attention. He numbered every hair on your head just to let you know he can. He's intimate with every detail about you. Created a beautiful DNA within you, hand selected and picked while in your mother's womb. There is no accident. There is no mistake. I know there's an Asa here tonight. I know there's an Asa here tonight. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place, and in the days the land was quiet for 10 years. You know what else I was just thinking right now? Genetics, addiction, all those things that we can be predisposed to because of our parents. They tell us whether it's alcoholism or any addiction. We, they call it a disease. There's no disease. It's not. It's never been. I don't see Asa falling into that same trap as his father. I mean, certainly he's going to start well. Yes, he's going to have some compromising issues, but, but isn't that freeing? Yeah, if your parent was a, you know, an alcoholic and you're sitting there, well, I have the gene in my body and, well, you don't want to drink, well, praise the Lord for that. There's nothing wrong with that, but, but you get to choose. You get to choose what, you know, well, you know, I don't come, I come from a family of, you know, laborers. That is, that's actually true. That's my family. I come from a family of laborers. You'll never be able to go to college. You'll never be able to graduate. My father came to my college graduation because he didn't believe me. I say that, funny. He didn't believe me. He said, no. Yeah. You mean they're going to really let you walk? I'm telling you. I don't know. You didn't pay somebody off? No, I really did it this time. No. I mean, we laugh, right? Because you know why? Because some of you are in here probably thinking the same thing. Maybe you grew up that way. Maybe, And you exceeded the expectations of, of those people around you because God has his hand on you. And it's his will be done. Not man's opinion or image that's got anything to do with it. 
Such a beautiful grace. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord God, his God. For he removed, what do we call that? We call that a reform. He removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars. Look at the strong language. He cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. Did you, did you see that? Remove, broke down, cut down, commanded. This is, this is strong language here. He wasn't, mus- he wasn't messing around. He was very intentional. He also removed the high places, the incense altars from the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him because God's a God of peace. And he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war. Isaiah 9, 6, what's it say? Jesus Christ is he's our prince of peace. That's right. In those years, because the Lord had given him rest. There it is. You want true rest, friends? You want true peace? It's not enough to just have that in your home. But when you invest in other people and earn the right to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, one soul at a time, you will see a nation that's reformed. You will see a nation that has perfect peace and rest. You look at our history of this country. You look at the peace that we had Certainly there were world wars in between those things, but you can't explain it. You look at Israel. Do you recognize Israel in, in, in the way it is today? If you've ever gone to Israel, I don't know if anybody here has traveled to Israel. You look at Israel. Do you, it was barren. It was a wilderness. It was a desert. There was nothing there. They're the only people group ever throughout human history, and God proclaimed it prophetically, that they would return to their land and inhabit it, and that... They're the third largest exporter in all of Europe for fruits and vegetables. They export, they're in the Middle East, but they export their fruits and vegetables. The third largest in all of Europe. They live in a desert. Have you ever tried to grow something in South Central Pennsylvania? (laughs) It's tough. And they're in a desert. And they're the third largest exporter. Not a lot of water. They figured out how to grow things without water. You know, a lot of water that is. God's blessed them. God's done something miraculous and he's showing that he can. He's showing he's sovereign. Israel's God's timepiece. We watch and see what's happening in Israel because we understand from that perspective how just close we are to the last of the last days. Therefore, he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates, and bars while the land is yet before us because we've sought the Lord our God. We've sought him, and he's given us the rest on every side. So they built and prospered, and Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shield and... uh, Shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. You know, he built it up here. He didn't waste, but he also didn't put all his, you know, his trust in these things, this fortification, like Jeroboam and like others had done, right? He also didn't just sit around and go, man, this is a great time to be alive. As we read in Ephesians 5.16, he redeemed the time. He redeemed the time. Then Zariah and the Ethiopian came out against them and 
and with an army, an invasion of a million men. How many people read this right now? You think, oh my, it's over. I don't care if you have 500. A million men coming against you. And 300,000, sure, 300 chariots, excuse me. And he came to Marshan. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephatha and Marshah. And Asa cried out to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Please underline that. And the next time in you, you are going through a trial, you're going through a difficulty, you're wondering how you're going to pay your electric bill, you're wondering how you're going to eat, you're wondering how you're going to fill up at the gas pump, you're worrying about all of these things, I want you to go back to this passage and you read it over again when it seems just overwhelming, not possible, a million a million to one, a million to two, a million to three. God, it's nothing for you. Nothing. I think our problems look so big because we lose sight of how big our God is. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. It's, it's because we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on our problems and our problems just look so magnified I don't know about you. I, I do that sometimes. My problems look so magnified, and, and, and I'm, Lord. And then, and, then he, and then he pricks my heart, and I look, oh, oh, yeah. Woo. I was carrying that along too long. I'll lay that back down, Lord, where it belongs, at your feet. Whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord, our God. You know how it begins here? It begins with worship. It begins with worship of God's greatness. That's what we praised and worshiped tonight, didn't we? We worship God's greatness. For we rest on you and in your name, your reputation, in other words. We go out against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Notice that. It's not against us. I love it. Lord, they're coming against you. This is for your glory and honor in your name. Again, nothing's too difficult for our God. You know, Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jeremiah 32, verse 27, passages over and over again in Scripture confirming these things. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for they were exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock and closed and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. You see that? Underline that. That's a condition there. He knows us. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without the teaching of the priests, without the law. There it is. There it is again. 
The three things, right? Without the worship of God, without the teaching, okay, someone standing in the gap and handling the word of God, without being afraid of what, you know, somebody's going to think about them or, you know, what, what are we going to do? We, you know, if I, if I teach the word of God and, and I get to the passages that, you know, turn around and say, well, you know, this is a sin. That's a sin. Fornication is a sin. You can't shack up with someone. You, you know, homosexuality is a sin. You know, you can't redefine marriage because a government thinks it's okay and it violates the word of God. All, I mean, on and on and on. It doesn't work that way. And, and yet, where are the men standing up in the pulpits and, and, and the men, the prophets, the, the men of old, the men standing in the gap, the women standing in the gap, saying, no. What are you doing? I think we're starting to see some of that. I really do. I, I, re- I recently have been, you know, noticing that there are a lot of parent-teacher boards. They've been standing up more and more and saying, no, you're not going to teach this nonsense to my children. Enough of the propaganda. The problem is they've already forsaken the word of God. They got no foundation to stand on because you've taken out the truth and you've substituted with wisdom of man or woman. That's, that's the underlying issue here. And how do I know that? Because I read the conjunction here, and without the law, without God's word, right? We're not under the ceremonial law as New, new Covenant believers, but without the word of God, that's the problem. I, I, I'm being honest with you. I, I, you couldn't pay me, and I don't want to offend anybody here, you couldn't pay me to send my kid to a public school. The, 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 irre, the damage, I mean, they're literally bringing people in the first grade kindergartens and teaching them to understand that they can be called different pronouns because of their imagination. You can be a you know, little pink pony. Well, I'm waiting. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it sounds facetious, doesn't it, when I say that? But it's happening. All in the imagination. What happened to the love of being honest with somebody and sitting down with them and saying, I'm sorry, biologically, you were created as a man or a woman. You may have tendencies or you may have battling of sin in this area. Okay, we're not denying there's a battle of the flesh versus the spirit. There's nobody that's denying that. But to condone it and say, no, no, no. Or or what about predatorization or, or the idea of a predator of, of teaching that it's okay for older men to have sexual relations with children because it allows them to bring out their inner child. This is being written about. This is already being written about in Europe. It, it, it's being written. Psychologists are rewriting that. Read the data statistical manual, the DSM. It's the DSM is what uh, how you get your codes if you if you talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist. It's the codes within there that they use, or or, or to some extent use to understand or label or categorize. But it's very interesting. Go study. We had Dr. Daniel Berger here. Go study how DSM three, DSM four, DSM five. How how it changes at a whim. It changes when when men and women stand up and say, you know what, we don't think that's that's right anymore. You know, we, we think it's okay. It's okay for old men to 
rape young children. It, it, you know, it seems normal. It's okay to, to have a bathroom where we created in a school or, or, or in a, souping, a shopping store that you can go in and, and, and because you feel in your head, you're a pink pony, you can walk into that bathroom and you can look at someone of the opposite biological sex and as though we're not going to see rape increase or terrible things. And, and yet the world is like, no, it's okay. It's, it's their inner child. I'm sorry, the word of God says that's sin. It's wrong. And to stand up and say that in love, not, not, to, not to lambast, you know, not to beat somebody over the head with the Bible, but to come alongside and say, look, I love you. This is wrong, and this is the reason it's wrong. Biologically, you are this. Now, let me come alongside you, invest, and let me help you. That, that seems right to me. There was a time when we did that in the church. Just because someone's homosexual, you can't come in and fellowship. No, we want, but we want, to, we want the word of God to do that work to right what is wrong. But that's what happens when you remove the word of God. You remove truth and absolutes. And friends, the reality is, that's why you have these kindergartens where, you know, or library times where they're going in and literally having story time with drag queens. Didn't you think Jesus was already going to come by now, huh? Yes. <clears throat> Don't ever be willing to give up the foundation of Scripture. Don't ever be willing to compromise on that, ever. Because there are consequences to actions. And we're seeing them before our very eyes today. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel, there's our hope, here's our hope, friends, and sought him, and he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out nor to the one who came in, but a great turmoil was in all the inhabitants of the land. So the nation destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. That's what we're seeing today. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded Right, that encouragement, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, stay the course. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He was encouraged by truth. It didn't tear him down. And he removed the abominable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored all the altar of the Lord and that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt in them from Ephraim, north tribe of Manasseh area, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep for the spoil they had brought and that they had entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. 
Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. What a revival, huh? Men and women turning back to God. Pay attention, post-exilic people. Also, he removed Makah, the mother of Asa. It's, it's actually his grandmother. There is no uh, ancient Hebrew word for grandmother or grandparent. Um, there's Yiddish, but there's no ancient Hebrew word for that. So mother of grandmother. It's his grandmother. The king from being queen mother. Um, it's actually an Aramaic term. Because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. Obviously something to do with a, some obscene symbol. And Asa cut down her obscene image. You know, this had to be difficult, right? Mom, Mom's doing something wrong there. Grandma's doing something wrong. But I choose God. Then he crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. He's talking in the north. That was outside of his reach anyway. Uh, from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, then that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils, and there was no one war until the 35th year, the reign of Asa. Amen, huh? Musicians, will you come forward? Let's worship our God. I, I, I really believe, you know, as we saw here, constantly reminded in chapter 14 and 15, if we do, if we worship our God, God is able. God is capable. He desires to forgive our sins. He desires to restore and renew relationships. He desires to save those that don't know him and to come into the family of God. And all he's looking for are souls and men and women just to say, here I am, Lord, use me. You know, and that's my prayer tonight. As we read these things, we're not torn down. We're not discouraged by all the things we see going around us? We're not. No, we're encouraged because we have a God of grace and a God of strength. And his power and his Holy Spirit go before us and God's not done yet. Amen? Will you stand, we'll pray, and we'll worship our Lord and Savior. Father, we believe. We believe everything we just read and Lord, we believe you'll do it again. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would have uh, and bring about a revival. And Lord, we pray it would begin tonight in our hearts. Uh, Lord, we know it's one heart at a time, little by little. And we do thank you for your truth, Lord. Without it, uh, Lord, I know I certainly uh, would not be here. I think many of my brothers and sisters, we, Lord, we don't even know where we'd be or we'd even be alive. We do thank you that you don't compromise truth. We thank you that you love us enough to tell us these things just as you did Asa. And because of that, Lord, he took down the high places. God, my heart and prayer is that you would do that even with our leaders today, uh, our local leaders here in the state, in this area, uh, our government, our president. Lord, I pray you would change hearts. I pray you'd save and redeem. And I pray, God, that we would turn back to you as a nation um, and watch, watch as you just enjoy and rejoice in the fellowship of your people. Lord, I know it's possible. All it takes is willing hearts. And God, we're praying for it tonight. We're asking. We receive not because we ask not. 
So Jesus, we bring these things before you. We love you, Jesus. Receive all our worship and prayer. In your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen.